welcome along to another live Glow West panel. As it's now June and officially Pride Month, of course we had to talk all about Pride, but more specifically what happens after Pride. When the corporations stop branding everything with rainbows in July and our special events dry up, what happens to the queer, the queer community then? So to answer this, I have an excellent panel lined up and for the live audience, please feel free to ask questions and we'll get around to answering them. So first up, we have Bella Fitzpatrick, who is the CEO of Shoutout, which is an LGBTQ plus education charity working to create inclusive schools, services and workplaces. Bella is passionate about using education to increase inclusion. Bella, how are you? Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely honoured to be part of this panel. They're, everyone here is so cool. Yay! Little fan club for everybody. <laughs> um, next up, we have Bulani Mifako, who grew up in apartheid ghetto in Cape Town. In 2017, he claimed asylum, seeking protection from violence and targeted killings of LGBT plus people. He's one of the spokespersons at Massey, which is the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland, where he is campaigning for the right to work for all asylum seekers and to end direct provision. Bulani is also on the board of directors of the Irish Council for Civil Liberties and is part of Equinox, which is a coalition of anti-racist campaigners in the EU. Bulani, how are you keeping? Reasonably okay, better than last year, but hopefully we are out of lockdown. We've started traveling a bit, so it's like, yay, I can get out of Clare. Like <laughs> rural Clare. The exciting one. That's all we can ask for at the moment. So yeah, I can definitely get you on that. Um, next up, we have Aman Sunday, who is an academic author and broadcaster in Cork, Ireland. His parents are from Pakistan and he was born and raised in Glasgow in Scotland. Aman, how are you today? Very, very well. And it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. A great pleasure to have you here. Uh, next up, we have Martin, and it's, Martin is better known as Martin Beans Ward. He's a stand-up comedian, writer, theatre actor, podcaster, and social commenter from the Irish Traveller community. He started his stand-up career in 2005 and has since gone on to perform across Ireland in every major venue. Martin has also performed at Electric Picnic, All Together Now, and is the creator of Sham Alive, which is Tume's first comedy festival. Aside from performing, Martin is an advocate for human rights, fairness, equity and inclusion. Martin, how are you? I just realised like how egotistical my bio is. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Carla. It's not at all. It's, <laughs> it really is. Big fans of shouting out your achievements because when, when we're gone, no one's going to talk about them. So you might as well bring them all out while we're here. So not at all. Um, and then next up, we have Addie Berry, who is an intersex and transgender PhD candidate from Tala, which is in Dublin, currently conducting research into older intersex people as part of the INIA network at the University of Huddersfield. Addie, friend of the show, welcome along. Thank you so much for including me, Caroline, amongst a whole bunch of my favorite uh, people from Irish social media. Oh, well, you're a, fan, you're a fan of this show. How many times are you on the podcast now? I think you're on 
two two times maybe i don't know as often as i can <laughs> well we will make that even more so we will get you there um and then last but by no means least we have sharon nolan who used the pronoun they and them is an artist and queer activist based in galway city they are a bi ireland coordinator and can you should be found online shouting about queer issues disability rights and iced coffee they own west queer art where they create and sell colorful stickers prints badges and earrings that they have designed Shar, welcome along how are you i'm good now thanks for having me i'm really looking forward to this evening yay brilliant and no iced coffee unfortunately for you though no i I, as much as i love iced coffee i'm very much one of those people that can't have coffee or caffeine after the afternoon anymore that said, happens I am. when we get old, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Just we're all falling apart. So, oh man, so. like health wise, it'll probably come up later, but like health wise, <laughs> it's all great. Take nothing for granted. Oh, we, will, we will definitely breach that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to start with what might be an obvious question to some people, but I don't think the answer is so obvious sometimes. Why is representation so important? And I'll actually go to all of you for this question because you all have represent different aspects of human life, um, I suppose, but some of those aspects don't get talked about so much in the media so much. So Addy, I might actually go to you first on that. Why is representation so important? It's really, really vital. I, I'm sure everybody's... Uh, Hopefully everybody attending has seen the documentary on Netflix, Disclosure, and I'm sure everybody here has seen it, but it's so easy to erase us when you can't see us. I mean, right now, the the research I'm performing is, um, or conducting is on older intersex people such as myself, and we've essentially just been erased. I mean, we're almost 2% of the population, as many as as, uh, people with red hair or green eyes. And when we're born, doctors are looking at us and they can't decide whether we're male or female. So they basically pick a gender based on shoddy science from one guy in the 50s and assign a gender to us. And then they hide our medical records from us. And there's no representation of us in, in culture, in media, other than old ancient Greek statues. And this is led to a perpetuation of harm for 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 decades now it's going on um, almost 50 years of this being done worldwide and there's a lack of medical specialists i mean my it, it's it's kind of insane this is 2021 so the research that i'm working on is the first study on older intersex people in europe really and it's it's uh, it's devastating and same with trans i mean when i was growing up there was serial killers in movies and the punchlines in Monty Python cartoons and that was our only representation so it, it, it's it's absolutely vital we need to get our stories out there and we need to stand up because this is what's going to change things for us I mean it's, it's a dangerous time we're in the line of fire and it's representation is more important now than ever but it has to be quality representation I just watched we decided one evening there recently to just pop on something that has nothing to do with sex work or trans stuff or intersex. Just let's re- relax. We popped on an Ethan Hawke movie and it happened to be about trans and intersex stuff. And we, we're like, it was a sci-fi movie. It was the worst pile of crap I've seen in forever. It's really important to include us in this representation. Ask us and you will create better representation and listen to us and include us and also pay us, you know, 
wrap yeah. us up and I mean look, look at yeah like look at Pose compared to the shite that I grew up with it, it, it's it's so good so it's really important to, to involve us in it absolutely absolutely and I suppose Martin you you would be quite familiar unfortunately with pretty negative only representation especially in things like the media and stuff like that as well well just to add on <clears throat> I suppose to what Addy just said like if you don't have representation, you're not seeing it. If you're not seeing it, it doesn't exist. And, you know, it's that, it's that old adage, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And in this situation, like that's normally used in things that we aspire to be in life. Well, what better aspirations can we aspire to have than to be ourselves, our true, the true versions of ourselves? And if we don't see or have representation of people like us, uh, in similar situations, then we don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. We only see, and in fact, some people don't even get to see the tunnel. They don't even think that there is a journey. Uh, they just think that it's this state of, of stagnation, almost caught in a, in, a, in a moment of inertia, where you're neither coming nor going. Um, you're just existing and, and actually not even surviving. You're just existing. You're there. And I think for, for a long time, and I'm speaking, I suppose, in particular about my own community. Um, but I think it, it's 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 quite relevant across the board for everyone here. I think that if we, if if we're continuously left out of conversations, because we talked about pride and what pride was and how it's become so commercial, but the 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 essence of pride isn't commercial; it's just become commercialized. But for a long time, my community has been excluded from that because there wasn't an expectation that anyone from my community might be LGBT plus or whatever, or might identify somewhat different. Thankfully, that's changed over the years. And recently, actually, I, I, I made a podcast with uh, some LGBT plus travelers. And for the very first time, we had a trans traveler speak out openly um, about, I suppose, what life was like. And some of the stuff that came up really highlighted the privileges that gay men have. And I never, I like speaking as a gay man for the traveling community, like it's a double whammy. But when you're a trans traveler, it's it it's it's so much more difficult to even start the conversation. And that's why representation matters for people like Ruby, uh, for, for for people like uh, myself, even when I was younger, I didn't have somebody to look towards and say, this is, you know, it, it's working out for them. In fact, what I had was a lot of negative stories. And what I had was a lot of reasons not to come out. And that's why in this day and age, if we're going to talk about hashtag equality and hashtag this and hashtag that, make sure it's hashtag inclusive because otherwise it's not equality. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But I want to go over to Shara there and talk about like queer mental health and, and physical health as well. Like, you know, you speak up quite a lot on that. And our mental health service in Ireland is not uh, what we would call great no. in many ways but when you have an extra layer to get to it what does that look like it can be it can be so challenging trying to like the services are already basically non-existent and if you have like anything else that could be a barrier to service whether it's your working class and you have to you you're you can only go public if you're like if you're queer in any way shape or form um you have the joy of it either being um, pathologized or ignored so it's either the reason that for all your problems or 
oh, but that doesn't affect it at all. And I find like, especially like for many of us that would be advocates, when you are accessing those services and you see people who aren't informed, like your gut reaction is to go into advocate mode and go, oh, well, here's this resource and let me tell you all about this and all about that. And you walk out that door and you haven't actually gotten the help you needed. And you might've just paid someone to educate them. Um, and just even on the representation, like just to follow up on Martin, like you can't be what you can't see. And like a lot of the learnings I've kind of been doing the last couple of years, like I grew up as in really rural Roscommon and I'd, I, I had this like really weird, like I could never envision my adulthood and what it would look like because being honest I didn't think I'd make it this far so hooray I did <laughs> um, but what really helps fill me with joy is I have a six-year-old sister uh, and she's she's going to the same school that I went to um, at the moment she's in high infants and she's very happy loves it and she is the little LGBT ambassador in her school and if they're ever talking about families or ever talking about relationships she's like did you know girls can have girlfriends and boys can have boyfriends Aww. and someone recently like asked her in school was she gay and she was like I don't think so and they were like well you know lots about gay things and and like the teachers didn't know how to react because they were so used to being like we're programmed to be like calling someone gay in the schoolyard as an insult. But now these kids were like, this person seems to know the information the teacher doesn't, maybe they're gay. Mm -hmm. And it just left all the adults around her dumbfounded. And just seeing like the fact that she's got myself and my partner in her life and the positive impact that has, like nothing has sold me more about the positivity of representation than that. That sounds absolutely amazing and, and you're being that representation because I know Bella your work you're fighting to get representation into schools and is it the statistic from you guys it's something like 73% of young people um, experience homophobic bullying but what what does representation mean when you're in school and when you're battling through puberty and all the rest of it? Yeah I mean I guess one of the things we would always say is you know education is a right a child in Ireland has a right to an education but if your school is an unsafe place to be you're being denied your right to education and for us if young people can't see a future for themselves they can't get invested in that future so if we can't see positive representation of being LGBTQ plus and then out in the world and you know feeling good then of course, they're not going to feel that passionate about their schoolwork. Of course, they're going to maybe get into some alcohol and drug abuse and drop out. And, and, you know, it's really about getting them invested in the idea that they have a future and there's such a big wild world out there uh, after school because Ireland's come a long way. Schools haven't. Like schools are a little time capsule in Ireland and some schools are flying it and are amazing. But that's a look at the draw. And acceptance should never be luck of the draw for a young person. So we go in and we stand at the top of the classroom and tell our coming out story or tell how we became, you know, an ally. Some of our volunteers are straight as, and cisgender as well. And even that act, even if we did nothing else besides that, that's powerful. But then we do, we do more. <laughs> and we're probably the only time... Um, you know, things like being trans and in particular being intersex is talked about. And what's very frustrating for me is 
I'll talk to them about being intersex and Addy, I'm sure you have a lot of passion about this. Then they'll go to their biology teacher to confirm it and their bi- biology teacher knows now. And that's so frustrating for me because you know, we want the teachers to be educated too. It's not that teacher's fault that teachers be failed by the system. So we're working now to get in with the teachers while they're training to be teachers. So we're doing a project with uh, TCD at the moment to get in with teachers while they're students so they can understand the reality of gender diversity, sexual diversity of sexual characteristics and sexual orientation and look at all of these as like the beautiful shades of grey that they are. That would be incredible. Oh my God, that just say life-saving you know for for so many people so but I want to come to Aman next and talk about like the representation for queer migrants and maybe for, especially for queer migrants of color as well to be LGBT where was why is representation so powerful for that particular community um I mean just as everybody's saying representation is is so so important um if I if I think of my own uh, journey to Ireland, I came to Ireland in 2015 and I was in the States for six years before, you know, some of the conversations that I had were just unbelievable. Like, you know, from a taxi driver saying, to, asking me how difficult it was for me to get a visa to come to Ireland um, to, you know, kind of coming into a very white university setting. These were huge challenges, um, I think even for me and and I have to say that I I carry huge privilege you know to 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 you know I'm a senior lecturer at the university I'm now head of a department I'm protected by a university system but I also felt very very vulnerable and I also feel very vulnerable in a university system as well and so you know I think about these things you know every day in terms of those who are on precarious contracts I think about students I think about PhD students who who want to do projects which um they kind of think about, you know, is this going to fit into a university system? Am I going to get hired? All of these issues are kind of, you know, um, what I've I've lived through. And I think about when I see um, individuals at the university who who are who are different and and um, there's there's no easy fix to this at all. You know, my first few years uh, being in Ireland when I came here in 2015, I spent most of the time speaking on the radio. I, I have a passion for doing public scholarship. Um, you know, I was I was wheeled out on the on the radio and doing a lot of media stuff in Ireland uh, to counter this narrative that that not all Muslims are terrorists. And you know, you kind of thought, really. And I just feel now there's been a slow progression to that narrative being quashed. I'm not saying that you know we go the opposite end and we say that all Muslims are angels. You know, we have to keep the balance there to to understand the bigger picture. But it just kind of gives you about all the kind of the 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 the, the double edged uh, kind of swords that individuals have to be fighting. Um, you know, I I I, I raise the issue of um, you know queer Muslims who have to work who have to fight the double bind of you know homophobia and Islamophobia at the same time, and it's just it's tiring. So yes, there's a question about uh, representation, but one size again doesn't fit all and a lot of people don't want to take that that place you know to to kind of be to to get to come to the public square i feel i was dragged out into the public square when i came to ireland um you know people people were just strangely enamored and exoticizing my accent and kind of saying oh but you're brown and you know you have this Scottish accent your parents are Pakistani it's been a hard journey um 
I do enjoy doing that, but it's 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 not easy. So I think, and again, I have to say, you know, I'm I'm also hugely privileged. So I worry about those who don't who don't have the privileges that I have, who can't turn around and say, by the way, you know, I'm British, I have a British passport. And I then I think to myself, I'm like, did I really just say that? Why am I saying that? Where did that come from? What does it mean to talk about? you know, immigrants and asylum seekers and people of colour. And it's just, you know, we, 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 we need to do better in how we, how we talk to each other and how we understand each other. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's hard work. Yeah, and I want to come back to that point about maybe the toll it takes on being the person doing the representing sometimes. Um, but I want to go to Bulani as well. If you're speaking about vulnerability, Bulani, you're in direct provision, which is such a vulnerable place to be for a lot of LGBT um, asylum seekers to come in. So what are your thoughts on, on representation in your community there? Well, then there's quite a lot of critique on representation, but a lot of uh, 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 it misses the quite point that when we talk about representation, we don't just talk about tokenist, tokenistic representation, or just having um, a few black people here and there, or uh, people of color, or LGBTQ plus people, simply putting up the rainbow flag outside the Department of Justice. Um, it also needs to be liberatory, um, uh, in, in the sense that you have to actually have uh, programs, policies in place to liberate the people who are on the margins, because one, exclusion is a deliberate thing. Um, uh, all of our privileges that we enjoy are socially constructed and are deliberate. Um, it will then take deliberate action to uh, uh, be fully representative of the society that we live in today. So if you look in, um, uh, in, your, in the spaces that we hold today, whether you're in an Irish boardroom um, or on, on television, on, uh, in film or in, in the press, um, it isn't a reflection of what you'll see in the streets of Cork or in the streets of uh, Dublin. It's, uh, it's, it's simply divorced from that reality that we live every day. Um, and that's primarily because there is a deliberate system in place that excludes particular people who are on the margins, including asylum seekers, um, uh, and that will need to change. It will only change when we have those people who are on the margins actually making decisions. Um, I don't think there is anybody who enjoys a position of privilege who's going to take the decision to liberate uh, people on the margins. Um, or if you think about Leo Veralka, for instance, who's a Taoiseach, um, held as an LGBT, the island's first uh, openly gay prime minister. Yay, whoopee, whoopee. Um, but what has he done for people in direct provision? Yeah. What has he done for asylum seekers in direct provision um, who are LGBTQ plus people? It's all documented that we experience bullying and we've had to be forced to share intimate living spaces such as bedrooms with homophobic people. The Department of Justice knows this. It's well documented. Like every year, we put out reports every time around Pride. We go and speak in public about our experiences in drag provision. Um, but what has the Tishak done about it? And so we place uh, when we talk about representation, quite a lot of it tends to be very um, uh, uh, much more on the surface. Um, so we like to point out, for, for instance, things that show us diversity. So we might point out that the Minister for Integration and Children in Ireland is a, a gay man. Or we might say, for instance, that we had uh, Leo Varauka in South Africa. We used to have quite a lot of uh, uh, first Black people. So whenever they, there was somebody, a medical doctor or whatever, when there was a first Black person, doing anything first black engineer we still remember who the first black medical doctor is in south africa um 
we remember the black lawyers. We remember the, the constitutional court judge, uh, Edwin Cameron, um, openly gay man. Um, but when, we talk, when you turn around and you talk about the lives of black people in South Africa today, do they reflect a changed society? And you find that their experiences are actually still the same as they were in apartheid South Africa. And you go to LGBTQ plus people, you have Edwin Cameron, uh, who sat in the constitutional court benches and opened the game and yay, it's great. He's doing uh, uh, great for his career. But has society changed? Um, LGBTQ plus South Africans still married. Um, uh, even just last week, there was one who was Aubrey uh, Shoka, who was uh, uh, married for no reason other than his sexual orientation. And so there needs to be a substantive change in the lives of people who are on the margins of our society, in Irish society, that the LGBT plus people, transgender people, uh, uh, members of the traveler community, migrants uh, uh, in general in Ireland would experience discrimination, especially in the labor market. Um, we don't talk about that in, in, in everyday life. We'll wait until there's a report by uh, the Economic and Social Research Institute, and then we want to talk to migrants about believe, labor market access. Yeah. And so, these are things that need to be an everyday discourse, um, an everyday policymaking discourse in Ireland. Um, otherwise, we won't see much change except for the tokens, uh, uh, the, token, the tokens that we get um, with the integration report and strategies um, once every year that we have. Well, let's let's dive into that then a bit more, and let let's talk about then how do we actually build a more inclusive society that isn't performative? It isn't you know first of June, everyone has their pride flags out. For end of June, they're all packed away again. Martin, I know based on, on Bulani's last point there, you know, we we have a traveler in the Shannon and everyone's like, yay, it's fantastic. But as Bulani said, that doesn't change conditions on the ground for people. So how, how does real inclusivity come about then, especially for queer travelers as well, who are marginalized within a community that is marginalized within another community? But look, we've got two. We've got two issues there. We've got. Are we going to tackle the issue about the discrimination, the systemic discrimination that travellers face, or are we going to talk about the duality of the oppression that an LGBT traveller would have? Because in order to look at that, we need to look at what's causing the oppression in the first place, which is the discrimination and racism, and the years of being excluded and social othering that's happened. Um, and the the uncomfortable truth is that the vast majority of people are part of that. The vast majority of people have uh, benefited from a society uh, that has discriminated against travellers or has discriminated against people in, in direct provision or has discriminated against uh, uh, LGBT people. Like we live in a country where being gay was illegal back in the 1990s. That's not even that long ago. In the 1990s, I was born into a country where my sexuality, my identity was illegal. So we're still catching up. And when we talk about travellers, in, in the mid-90s, when the decriminalisation of homosexuality was going through and, and the, the state was being brought to court by um, uh, our Lord and Saviour, Senator David Norris, uh, we, we <laughs> Irish travellers were just beginning, just beginning to set up organisations to fight for their rights um, in around the exact same time. So when Irish society was moving ahead, with uh, decriminalization of homosexuality, we were just beginning to have a voice in fighting for our, 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 our existence. And uh, then you've got the next decade, I think it was 2006 with the anti-trespassing law. So slowly but surely, our way of life was being whittled down. And rather than integration, 
I grew up in a society where it was forced assimilation. And there's two very, very different uh, uh, reasons for that. One, if it was integration, you'd be allowed to hold on to your, your cultural uh, practices and your traditions and things like that. Uh, whereas assimilation is, no, 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 you're giving those up. <clears throat> we want you to be an ordinary member of society, which doesn't work because when you, that, that is a form of oppression. So that's where the oppression begins. But long before that, you had the 60s, we had the the, the government, it's in, it's in government archives, uh, where they came together and sought uh, the solution to the itinerant problem because we were always seen as a problem. And not much longer before that, Irish society has tried to proclaim that we are just disjointed uh, landowners from the famine, when in actual fact we, we predate that also. So there's a lot of, every single decade we will find an issue where people will say, ah yeah, but they're not really different. Mm -hmm. But fucking hell, we'll treat them differently anyway, just in case they get notions about themselves. So the most recent one, and I'm going back and forth because there's very, there's very, um, I suppose there's, there's, there's very deep-rooted division in Ireland anyway, and be that from what happened with the Brits, let's say, for example, or be that, you know, it's it's a leftover mentality from colonialism, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We don't live in a time where we should accept those traits in, in, in a modern society. We shouldn't live in a time where people are, are, are locked up in direct provision and and just you know being shut off from society when people aren't allowed to walk into direct provision centres to see how shit people are being treated, you know uh, when when direct provision centres are making millions each year for for giving substandard conditions to human beings, so I could quite easily list off a hundred different things that happens to travellers, and I can keep those hundred things and say and here's another hundred things that LGBT travellers are going to go through, but that's that's pointless. The whole point of this discussion for me today is we have people from different backgrounds. We all have we have all faced oppression in different ways. We need to come collectively together and work out a way that we can work for work a way forward cohesively. And I really mean this, and I truly, truly mean this. That if I see uh, talks about equality, if I see uh, pride committees, if I see pride um, committee members creating events that don't include people on the margins then you're not for pride and you will not get my support because in this day and age, when we can call out cis straight men for the behaviours that they do and we can't call out ourselves for not being inclusive, yet we cry for inclusivity, then I'm sorry, I can't stand over that hypocrisy. Not any longer. Not when we're living in this day and age. Not after all the crap that we've gone through with this pandemic when we've seen families being torn apart where they can't say goodbye to their loved ones. That shouldn't be the case going forward. If anything that we've learned from the pandemic is how we can come together as a family, as a unit, as, as, as a movement, as a real movement to bring in people. And if LGBT people aren't fighting for people in direct provision, then they're not fighting for human rights. They're not fighting for equality. They're fighting for themselves, and it's not good enough anymore. And I'll say the exact same thing around travellers. If you put up things like hashtag Black Lives Matter, and then in the next sentence you're calling somebody a knacker, you may as well take down your hashtag because it means nothing. It's only a move for you to gain or gain likes and gain shares on social media. It's meaningless. Unless you're about true equality and human rights, don't bother your arses.
because we can see through it. Victims of oppression, we see through it. We know people who are using social media for their own gain. So that's my little message. And I could have banged on about travelers, but if this is going to be about inclusivity, then let me have my little rant to include everyone. It's a, it's a very justified rant there, Martin. So, so don't worry about that. Well, go to Bella then. Is education the answer? How do we, do we tackle this through education? Well, yeah, I'm a little biased. I would think education is a huge part of it um, because, you know, those 15 um, year olds we spoke to last week, they're, they're the future, they're the, the politicians, they're the people running the companies is, and, and, and the young people that they, they kind of know the jig is up and they're pretty, they're pretty annoyed, um, you know, that we've left the, the planet in this state for them and that um, everything is uh, polished on the outside, but not any better on the inside. And I think they really see through that. Um, and I think one thing we need to work on is um, lateral violence. So the way in which we um, target each other because it's easier than targeting our oppressors. So we'll notice that particularly in the LGBTQ plus community, when we see things like body shaming in the LGBTQ plus community, transphobia coming from uh, cis members of the community, um, classism, classism being something that's so massively a huge part of our society and something we don't really talk about that much. Um, so I just know, you know, for myself that being someone who's a recipient of uh, social housing and, and someone who has been so housing insecure my whole childhood, because I am, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever used this term before, middle-class passing, <laughs> like um, I pass as someone who's middle-class just because of like, I went to Trinity and all that crap. I've been just privy to so much people talking about people in social housing, particularly after what happened in the UK with Grenfeld, when that went up in flames and people were saying things like, well, it doesn't really matter. And I was there saying like, you're talking about me. And just because you didn't know that doesn't mean you should be able to say what you're saying. And you are someone who as, uh, exactly as Martin said, otherwise has all the right hashtags flowing and all the right stuff going but you're, you're classist. And I think that's a huge aspect of Irish society that's yet to be tackled, that we can realize that, you know, a lot of people are talking about rent and, and not being able to afford it. Um, but a lot of people are about to inherit their parents' house. And, and obviously I don't think that's a solution to anything. But remember that some people, their parents are renting. My mom's renting. My mom's in social housing. My mom pays rent. I will never inherit nothing, um, you know, but probably a bit of her debt. <laughs> um, and I think until we are ready to have a conversation about classism, we can't really progress because I think we're very, very awkward about it. And I think people really don't like it when you bring up the fact that you're poor or you grew up poor. People don't like it. <laughs> they really don't because I've been challenged on the idea that I'm, I grew up poor because people don't believe me because of, I don't know, how I sound or some something like that. So I'm not, I'm not poor enough to be poor. I'm not, I'm too bi to be properly queer. You know, <laughs> I'm a small fat. I'm not, you know, like just being in between these different categories and people wanting to, to kind of use this, this uh, idea that you can, you can talk about poor people in a way that just really dehumanizes them. And I really think that so much we've come so far in you know being more accepting but we haven't come that far in classism and that's like 
a really big issue. And, and that is never talked about in schools. Yes, we got some schools doing LGBTQ plus education, something I'm very passionate about. But if I'm talking personally, not a CEO of Shed It, but as a personal person, um, we never talk about classism in schools and we definitely should be. And I think that speaks to other forms of oppression, particularly for other marginalized groups as well, um, is, is that piece Absolutely. around classism. Yeah, we'll get you a tattoo that says poor on your head. That'll, that'll solve the issue there. So. Yeah, poor and by. Poor and by, yeah. Well, I'm going to go to Sharon first. Is it, next, is it politics then? That's the answer as someone who's engaged with the political process? Um, like, I, I have very kind of mixed views about that because there's so there is so much tokenization. And like, as someone who has been quite often used as the tokenized prop, of like being you know the outspoken queer like the outspoken person who will just be like oh look they're they're involved in our organization we must be great and it's like no I am here to like mess you guys up (laughs) and like I think so much about like ways to improve it is like I I don't want to see like diverse CEOs I want to see like everyone in the company at every level being diverse and that's just the private market like politics is like such it's almost like an afterthought and and like as someone who's involved in politics I'm like yeah like you know it's great like um it took until 2019 for like Galway City Council to have our first LGBT um counselor in the city and like myself and Owen Hanley were like put through really weird stuff running for election um in 2019 due to that um from you know the homophobia um to the the very strange like oh do you know I like gay people because they know suffering so I'm going to vote for you and I'm like thank you (laughs) um But like, if it's tokenistic, it's meaningless. Like it has to be like unrooting the entire structure because if we're just trying to cram like diverse faces into our incredibly like classist, ableist, like patriarchal system, like that's that's not gonna change anything. That's just gonna have like different people holding us down. Like I, like, you know, I don't know, I like, I'm not academic. So I just cite memes where I'll be like, more women, war crimes, <laughs> things like that. Um, it's like, no, we need to go like, it's not just who's in the room. I want to know why the room isn't more diverse. I want to know what you're doing to get more people in the room because like saying saying like you didn't know any better just isn't good enough in 2021 or in current year or whatever. Yeah. Um, because like there's so, like it's the reality of so many people. So like, it's just very frustrating. Yeah, no, I can. Completely understandably so. Well, you mentioned academia there. I want to go to a man because like academia in Ireland is very white and very privileged a lot of the time. It's not very um, inclusive, you know, in a lot of cases. And academia is not free. It's very, you know, out of the reach of many, many people. So is it there that we can change society through that once once you get over all those hurdles of actually getting into academia? It's it's. It's, I hate to kind of say this because it also sounds tokenistic, but it is very complicated. Um, I, you know, to, to, 
how do you change things uh you know in 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 these massive institutions um and also to kind of you know raise your voice and ask critical questions and you know the university systems are are full of individuals who have huge egos and it's you know to an extent you know it's about knowledge it's about understanding but it's also to an extent a place where which has a business model where people are you know putting together things that bring money and and so it's very difficult to kind of you know try to 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 change the system to an extent and also to 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 you know uh, progress in that system at the same time um and again it's up to the individual whether they want to do it you know i i i, I do believe in that i believe that you know part of my my academic work is inextricably bound to doing the social justice work my phd was on masculinity which you know islamic masculinities which meant that i i was I had an interest in this that I didn't, you know, take a, an easy topic and go and and be that academic. But there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of academics. There's a lot of, you know, uh, minority um, ethnic uh, academics who don't want to get involved. You know, I meet a lot of academics who are who are trying, are struggling to get up the ladder. Maybe they get to the up the ladder and then they 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 they, they don't they don't want to fight. So I'm also I understand tokenism. I understand that, but I. I think it's really important to think about what that individual has to go through to get to that. I've had people say to me, "Aman, you've made it." I don't know how they understand what made it is, right? That you're now a senior lecturer, you're the head of a department. Just, just enjoy your life now. I've had people say this to me, but I can't do that. That's me because I don't want to do it. But I meet a lot of other, you know, minorities who do, you know, get to really high ranks. and they don't they put uh, you know they 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 just throw the ladder away so i'm 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 i don't want to kind of i don't want to kind of say that we should every one size fits all and all academics should be kind of fighting for everybody else i think everybody we ha- i think we should take a step back and to understand that everybody has their mental and physical issues that they fight and i think it's really important to to be aware of that and and not to 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 kind of push people to to say you know because you are a minority you are expected to do that i speak about myself i saw that there was a there's a there's a big issue of race equality in irish universities i i you know got involved in race equality at the university i'm now the chair of the 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 race equality forum um and we have uh, margarita who who represents the irish travelers who you know and we we're, we're the co-chairs on that we're we're asking difficult questions you know some people have said oh gosh man how is this going to be seen but again it's you know what what martin was saying it ha- it has to be said and and i again i think it goes back to this it, it's one size doesn't fit all but gosh we would be here for hours and days and years talking about some of the issues involved at universities because universities in ireland in europe i mean i've taught all over are are very strange strange places full of very strange individuals who i have to say i think to be uh, this might not be very politically correct but i don't think they live in the real world and a lot of them kind of hide in these strange little places that they just write and do their own thing that for me doesn't work might work for some people so I, that i, I think are some of the people. complications of universities <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it, it, there's a there's a weird distraction from regular life in a lot of acad- academia sometime on that, yeah. Well, then, if we, if we go to Addy, then, is it, like, activism is another option but with a high burnout rate and Adi I know you know you identify you are trans as well and trans people are just getting an awful time of it I want to say at the moment but obviously it's not just at the moment but particularly so in things like the UK media which is just absolutely transphobic on a constant basis And, and you know you're living in the UK now but you know is there like personal risk of speaking out or like what the toll it must take to be constantly under attack? Well, I mean, well, it's about, I've had 50 years of this nonsense at this point. I was an intersex baby that was handed to a very damaged Catholic woman. And and then the the way, I don't know whether this is how it's done now. They, 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 They've worked on the systems adapted and changed a little bit, but it's always been in the past that they hand you an intersex baby and then tell you to move away, move somewhere else. And I was born here um, in England, and my surgeries, my early surgeries, were performed here. And doctors told my parents to move, so they moved back to uh, to Ireland, and I grew up in Tala, and it was a hostile environment then. And I don't know. It's kind of all terrible. I mean, I moved over here to begin work on my PhD and I figured, you know, hey, the NHS, as great as they are, uh, got my misery ball rolling by performing my early surgeries, which, you know, have left me a lifetime of medical difficulties and legal difficulties and so on and so forth. And I spoke with the mental health team at the NHS and they sent me a letter back that said, my trauma is beyond the realm and capabilities of the NHS specialists. So this is what we're kind of creating. So, and I I think just to to build on what everyone else has said too, it's really important to kind of, because you can really kind of look at trans issues as a microcosm, but you're making a bit of a mistake. Like that trans people aren't a problem. I mean, they're inventing problems and there's nothing to back it up. You keep hearing about the danger of trans people popping up in bathrooms. It's not happening. We're terrified of bathrooms. In Texas, I had guns put to my head in bathrooms. It's just, you know, it, it's, uh, we're not the problem. It's the same with the, with, with the traveler laws. They're trying to pass the traveler law here or the, and the, the assimilation laws in Ireland. It's not that travelers are presenting such a problem. It's the same reason that intersex surgeries still happen all the time. Like Ireland, for example, collects no data on this. We, we will look at other countries and shake our finger and give out that they're doing FGM and pride ourselves, clap ourselves in the back and go, Ireland's amazing. We're anti-FGM. We perform exactly the same surgeries on intersex people. It's the same surgeries. And we collect zero data. And then we're assigning um, genders with a little more than a flip of the coin. And when those kids end up not identifying with the gender they've been plonked with, because you'll hear from the right um, over and over again, yeah, well, intersex is either they're all men and they're all women. It's literally not true. You've got people who've got both. It gets really complicated. It goes, as Bella was saying, it goes way beyond the, the definition of gender we're taught in school. And even if they were true, uh, 
doctors are assigning a lot of XY people as male and XX, you know, or uh, XY is female and vice versa. So there's a lot of people just growing up in the genders they've assigned. But like, for example, in Ireland and elsewhere and here, there's essentially no trans care. I mean, I, I was, when I moved back to Ireland from the US in 2017, I tried to get my hands on, uh, on antidepressants, just a prescription of anti, for, for antidepressants. And anyone can go get, except me, um, because I'm intersex and trans, my psychiatrist, who was coincidentally the former uh, psychiatrist from the National Gender Service, told me I had to wait while suicidal for uh, Lachlanstown. I'm still on the waiting list. Like I went back to college uh, rather than killing myself. And now I'm working on my PhD. So it's literally quicker to become a doctor than get seen by one of your trans and intersex. They'll do the surgeries on you and baby and after, as a baby and then it's done. So medical care for intersex people happens whether you want it or not. Trans care doesn't exist. They're trying to force travelers to assimilate. It's all about assimilation. It's get back in the closet or die. It's a divide and conquer system. All of these problems, racism, all of this stuff, it's, it's, they're all flowers growing on the same ugly bush that are designed to hurt all of us. And, and it's so important that everybody gets involved because this isn't about us. We don't, nobody cares. We are such a, we're, we're 2% of the population, even, you know, trans and intersex a little bit smaller. You know, travelers are not the majority of the people. We're not a problem. The idea of us is, it's the same reason governments are, are getting involved in passing anti-sex worker laws. It's not the sex workers are causing such a problem and they clearly don't care about organizations like Wilhelm and all. They don't care about the well-being and the Gardaí. They don't care about the well-being of, of, uh, of sex workers. I mean, you can't on one hand say, well, we care about them. That's why we're dragging them out of their houses as the Gardaí did to, to, to me. Um, it, it, it's a divide and conquer system. It's, a, it's the same reason England in 1871 in India outlawed the Hedra. It wasn't that the English army were quaking in their boots at the, at the site of the Hedra. It's just that it's harder to control a spectrum of, of, of a diverse spectrum of people. Yeah. It's a divide and conquer. Divide and conquer works for that. Yeah, and that's yeah. what it is. So it isn't about us. It's not about travelers. It's not about black people. It's about the whole population. This applies to everybody. You, you see a lot of uh, LGBT people popping and taking on and taking sides with the um, LGB alliance and other anti-trans hate groups. And they're failing to understand that this system is designed to get all of us. If you can look up the Family Research Council on, on uh, Meg Colgannon on YouTube. And they're openly talking about coming for all LGBT people. They're just starting with the T because apparently we're the weakest link. But this is designed to control the entire population. In a situation where we're doing better, so is everyone else. We're the canaries in their coal mine, whether we like it or not. Well, I want to pick up on those points and I want to um, ask Bilani about them as well and the idea of divide and conquer of you know you're literally kept in direct provision away from society and away from the queer spaces that some of us might just take for granted you know well we can just pop down to a gay bar and not bother you know it's two minutes down the road we can stay out all night whereas you're actually still segregated within Irish society and then even within the direct provision service as a queer person that's its own set of challenges as well then. And they might reject your asylum claim simply because you don't know where the George Bar is. So how am I going to get to the George Bar from Claire? Like, what am I going to do in the George? So the number of things that we, lessons that we've learned from our history is that 
if we can design exclusion of people, we can design inclusion of people um, in all our structures of life, in all our ways of life. Um, for a very long time, we used to have um, uh, in South Africa and I think in many countries around the world, we used to have a complete exclusion of uh, gay people uh, uh, in, in film and television. But now we're seeing uh, writers coming to the fore, writing meaningful stories rather than the stereotypes of what a gay person uh, what they think a gay person is. Um, we've changed that. We used to have the same thing with black people. Um, uh, we still have in some quarters where you only write about the violent black men. We don't see uh, uh, stories about um, how other black people live except for the black uh, violent men um, uh, or the black victim woman. Uh, we've, we are seeing changes in that because there are deliberate measures put in place to change that. Um, it's the same with policies. We have policies, we have laws in Ireland that prevent LGBTQ plus people, that make it difficult for LGBTQ plus people to be parents, surrogacy laws, um, even parents to your own uh, uh, children um, in ways that heterosexual people aren't um, excluded. So you think about um, a, a gay person who gets married to another gay person and they have a child. Um, if the child is biologically fathered by one uh, man or uh, uh, one lesbian woman, um, the other will have to go through a formal process of adopting their own child. You wouldn't go through that. You assumed to be the parent by default if you are married as a heterosexual person. So we have laws in place that are designed to exclude people. We have laws in place that exclude people in, in accessing the labor market. We have designed this exclusion. Um, it can be undone. It's very easy. We have legislators for that reason. Um, and so uh, we need politicians who will stop waving the rainbow flags at us um, uh, and stop talking about, uh, 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 it's very easy for the Oireachtas, for instance, to be talking about, oh yeah, we'll pass the hate crime uh, uh, bill, um, but try to get them to actually uh, uh, remove the restrictions on access to the labor market for people in direct provision, you'll find it very difficult. You know, so it's easy for them to do very tokenistic things rather than the hard things that make meaningful changes in the lives um, of people on the margin. And that's what we need. Um, we've seen it happen in societies where you've had years and years. We had over 400 years of exclusion of black people in government in South Africa. 1994, that's changed. Now, they may have excluded uh, women. Um, uh, in particular in, in, in management positions. But if you go to the South African government today, you are most likely going to be interacting with a black person. Whether they are men or women, you will be interacting with a black person. That changed because there was a policy, there was affirmative action written into the constitution of the Republic of South Africa that the state can take deliberate action to ensure that people who are historically marginalized are brought to the fore and take charge of not only their lives, but contribute to our society in meaningful ways. Um, and that can be done. Um, in Ireland, you will see in the women's movement, they'll easily talk about quotas for, uh, to address uh, gender representation, uh, representation on gender, but they don't talk about it when it comes to race or ethnicity. Um, uh, and that's what we're missing, um, intersectionality in the campaign work that people do in Ireland. Um, we don't see that and we won't get that until people actually do uh, the hard work that needs to get done. Um, so all we do um, is just talk about how awful our lives is, uh, our lives are, 
um, uh, you can go to travelers. Travelers will tell you how awful Ireland is to them, how racist Ireland is. You go to asylum seekers, you do the same thing. Um, you go to other migrants, they can talk about the challenges they face when they have to interact with INIS and the long waiting and the fees that people must pay to stay and contribute to this country. Um, but we don't really get to the solution parts because the solutions, um, the people who can uh, actually make decisions that affect our lives or change our lives aren't us and they don't look like us and they don't live like us. They don't have the experiences that we do. Um, and that's what we need to change. So we need a state that works for all of us, not a state that works for some of us based on our different identities that we have. Um, at the present, we have a state that deliberately excludes a lot of us. We have a state that deliberately excludes uh, LGBT, uh, LGBTQ plus people in, uh, in, in parental rights. We have a state that deliberately excludes asylum seekers in accessing to the labor market that makes barriers for even doctors who come to this country bringing skills that this country needs, um, who are still trapped in, in their careers that they can't, for instance, do uh, the internships to train to be specialists. They have to wait for years and years and years before they can even try to apply for those things. Um, and so we need to change that structure. Um, uh, uh, otherwise, it's no point having that state if it's a state that only privileges a few of us. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, on, on that note, because we're coming up to time now. So I want to talk about like the idea of queer joy. We don't like you said, we're so busy, caught up in all the, the problems and everything else that we need to solve. So just to kind of go around everyone to kind of wrap up, um, what does queer joy mean for you outside of rainbow capitalism, outside of June? So for the other 11 months of the year that you're still queer, um, you know, what does, what does queer joy look like for you? So I'm going to actually start with a man on that one. Uh, for me, it's, um, I don't, I don't know what that, um, I guess for me, it's, uh, I, I find great, um, joy from, uh, uh, understanding my parents' roots, uh, reveling in the idea that, you know, my mother grew up in a very poor village, um, in, in Pakistan and the stories that she tells me about bathing with buffaloes and, you know, farming stories and, you know, then thinking my dad passed away and, you know, the, the, the idea of my dad traveling all around the world because he had to make money for, you know, he was the only son of a family that had many daughters and, and just kind of retracing their footsteps. And, you know, I, I grew up in, in a council estate in Glasgow and, you know, my dad had a corner shop for 23 years in, in Glasgow. So, you know, I, I kind of look back and people kind of say to me stuff like, gosh, you know, your parents must have been these professors at some university. I'm like, no, we actually grew up in a council estate in Toonhead in Glasgow. And so I, I actually, Rev, I quite enjoy thinking about all, all the people, like not just my parents, but my grandparents and, and what, what it must have been like, you know, for them to growing up in Sialkot in Pakistan. And I absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes lost for words in English. I think the English language has hijacked everything. So I enjoy reveling in the poetry of my parents uh, in Urdu and in Punjabi. Um, I, I, I learned uh, Arabic in the Middle East and also in France purely because of academic reasons. But, you know, my, my love and soul is in Urdu and Punjabi. And I just revel in the stories. Just one last point is that there was a, I wrote about this in my, in my PhD and then in my book of a, 
I think it was a 16th century uh, Sufi mystic who, uh, you know, he he read a passage of the Quran which said the, the world is is but a playing field, a, a playground. And he just started dancing. And it wasn't just normal dancing, whatever normal is, but it was kind of irreverent, just bouncing up and down. And then he, you know, kind of started this trend of um, people kind of dressing up queerly. He fell in love with a Hindu Brahmin boy. They lived together. People erased that part of the history to say that, you know, he was uh, he was teaching this Hindu guy boy about Islam in order to convert him to Islam. They're now buried side by side in, in Lahore, in Pakistan, where hundreds of thousands of Pakistanis go and dance at their graves in, in, in queer colours. That gives me so much hope. In a place where, you know, in a Pakistan that doesn't have pride festivals, doesn't have pride marches, it's very proud of its queer history. I just think that we we eat up so much of the queer colors in places in the way that we've understood it just by the rainbow flag, just by this. And I think we we need to step back a little bit and, and kind of understand that there's more than one one way to be queer. For me, that's that brings me great joy. That, that sounds amazing. I'm going to read that. If you send me a link afterwards, it sounds, well, if it's in English, of course. Um, Shar, I want to go to you. What, what What's your queer joy look like outside of rainbow capitalism? Um, like, I th- really think, like, having those kind of authentic community spaces where everyone in the room can first get into the room and be themselves and like it's something that I've had the privilege of being able to almost take for granted where it's like um like all of my housemates and I are we're all queer like we have lots of queer friends we carved online spaces for ourselves when there was none that fitted our needs due to one reason or another um so having having a space where you can just see like queer and trans people of all different backgrounds just being able to be their authentic selves and not having like not having to like justify themselves or having to justify their pronouns or the fact that they maybe they're using a a different name than last week um being in spaces like that where that's just the norm is just it just brings me so much joy um, and I'm quite lucky with a lot of the ways I can kind of interact with the world. I kind of try and put my as much of my energy as I can into those spaces now, because um, if, co- if COVID has kind of taught me anything, it's like if you're off trying to save the world the whole time, like there isn't much left to kind of come home to. So it's kind of like, you know, you need to kind of start at home and nurture yourself from that side of things and go from there so whether it's whether it's just being able to like have socially distanced coffee with my friends or like spaces like Choxolis when we had it um like being having those spaces where you don't have to spend money you're not expected to drink you're not expected there's no expectation you just get to be 
And I think we need more of that now more than ever, especially with the isolation that so many of us have been dealing with for the past 15, 16 months. Um, like my partner and I, like we were both high risk just to different underlying conditions. So we've, we spent like the last 16 months like cocooning completely and I'm going to be able to visit my family for the first time next week. So it's like, it's going to be strange. I'm like, oh, this is a lot of straight people in one room. Because <laughs> uh, I am the gay cousin. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. And anything that kind of helps cultivate those spaces yeah. is just helps bring me joy. Yeah, no, that's they sound fantastic spaces. Absolutely. Um, Martin, but what about you? What's your queer joy? Uh, look, I'll be honest. My My queer joy is just being allowed to get on with it. Um, because while it's important to fight for our rights and fight for our existence and all of that, it's also equally important to just be be yourself. And I'm at that point now where I just don't give a fitter's fuck what anyone thinks about me or my sexuality. So my joy is in the fact that I just I don't care anymore. And when I have time and the need arises, I'll fight the corner of somebody who's not quite at that point just yet. And I get quite a lot of joy out of helping people. Um, but I have to say, like, we can, we can sit here and we can say, you know, I get joy out of, you know, protesting. I get joy out of, you know, making sure everyone is okay. At the end of the day, if you're not well, and if you're not happy, you're really of no use to somebody else. In fact, you can become a burden. So the most important thing is to try and find the happiness within yourself for what you have right now. And if you're at a point where you can find that happiness right now, then the happiness hasn't come to you yet. And they're the people that we should be helping when we have time and when we have our own happiness. But for now, I find my queer happiness in the fact that I'm beyond that because after so long of facing adversity and oppression, I've come to the point where I've realized it doesn't matter because people don't care if I do well or if I don't do well. People don't care if, if, if they hate you for being a traveler, if they hate you for being gay, for being trans, for being bi. If they hate you, they're going to hate you. Why should we allow their actions to determine our reactions? And my reaction is happiness because I'm happy within who I am as a person, within this shell of a person. Um, so, yeah, I find queer happiness in not giving a fuck. Absolutely. You should get that on a T-shirt or something as well. That's a, that's a good one there. Um, fantastic. And Bella? Yeah, similar to what Char said, like, I think for me, queer joy is realizing um, I'm not special and I'm not having a very unique experience. <laughs> actually, my experience is very universal and it's actually kind of boring. So I'll go on to Buy Ireland and say something like, oh, and my marriage is falling apart. My in-laws hate me because I'm queer. And actually, I think I might be too queer for this heterosexual marriage. And actually, I really want to sleep with a woman. And, and someone else will be like, you know, I'm having that exact same experience right now. <laughs> and like nearly the, you know, the word for word, the exact same experience. And like, oh, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> not that unique. And that's great. Um, and uh, just, just a very quickly, because you did bring up rainbow capitalism, I just want to very quickly say that we need to vote in a government that will fund charities so we don't have to rely on rainbow capitalism. Like at the end of the day, there are so many charities that we would not get by if it wasn't for those tokenistic donations as given by the 
those big companies and we can't afford to have the morals to to not engage with them and we literally can't if we want to keep the lights on if we want to keep on going to schools we want to keep on doing that we got to go out we got to get that money so you know while it's not great and I don't love it it is really important to note that when you see those charities doing that they just need to um so you know until we have a government that's properly funding NGOs or properly funding services so we don't need so many NGOs as well um you know just be aware that uh, that's why we're doing it we're just trying to keep the lights on absolutely yeah there's not no judgment for for taking it you know you're you're doing your thing absolutely um and then Bilani I actually did a, a, a piece for GCN last in December last year I think on queer utopia we had a series on queer utopia and my very happiest moment is when I'm actually alone. I don't have people around me. Um, so it was very tough uh, actually during the lockdown because it was locked down with over 200 asylum seekers in Noklashin Prison Center. And it's like, uh, no, um, I would actually much rather be on my own and go for a walk um, uh, uh, with nobody, don't see anybody. That would be so lovely, not have to talk to anybody. Um, because then I'm actually much more in tune with myself. I learn quite a lot about myself um, uh, because I, I find time to reflect on things that I do um, and things that have happened around me and things that have happened to me. And I'm able to make sense of things and be more creative about solving some of my issues that I would have or solving other people's problems because I could literally get a text now about something that happened to somebody in direct provision that needs uh, help from my students. So uh, I find time and space on my own um, uh, to be incredibly satisfying. Like there is no other, there is nothing else that brings me greater joy than being at peace on my own. I used to pay money to go on meditation retreats where I don't speak to anybody and just go into silence meditation. So um, that's how much I love being on my own. So um, I, I think when we find the spaces that we we can easily get caught up in a lot of the world's problems um, and it can be quite overwhelming when you are looked on as a representative for your community because i think uh, aman touched on that that people actually in in some uh, respects just want to get on with their lives so you might find a person um, in academia they just want to be the best academic they, they can be they just happen to be black or they just happen to be uh, of Asian descent or they just happen to be queer. Um, but their end goal is actually to be the best academic thing. We have the same with lawyers. They just want to be the best lawyers. But we might be ticking a box and saying, oh, yeah, we have a, a, a gay judge there or we have a black judge there. Great. It's brilliant. But that gay judge actually just wants to live their life. Um, and so we should relish um, a, 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 a moment where we can create a society in which people just get on with their lives and don't have to worry about all the other uh, uh, problems that society throws them. Yeah, absolutely. And then last but by no means least, Addy, your queer joy. You know, my, my philosophy is really that you've got to try and find the, the gifts in your curses. And I think in spite of everything, I feel really fortunate. I mean, life has put me on a lot of adventures and it's not done yet that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And it's honestly, for me, the joys in community, in, in the sex worker community and in, in, in trans 
and intersex people, just the community amongst my people. Uh, that that's for me the joy. The, these are relationships. We're we're united by. We've all had some pretty terrible days, which I think helps you really appreciate the good ones. You know, and we have a lot of similar experiences, and we're united by them. And I don't, I don't know that I would be able to find and have and maintain these relationships if, if I wasn't what I am. So for me, it's, it's community and the relationships within, honestly. Yeah, no, and I'm grateful for that because I wouldn't have found you otherwise. So absolutely. Um, I, I think, listen, thank you to everyone because I just think this has been fantastic. And I think there's so much learning in so many ways. And I know we're only scratching the surface, if even barely. We have like a fingernail mark in the surface of all the issues um, that we've looked at today. Um, where can people find you all if people want to learn a bit more or you you know the, the communities that you work with um Shara go to you first there yeah I I do stuff with by Ireland you should always check out by plus Ireland they're amazing uh I'm also the current PRO of Galway Pride so check out Galway Pride uh at Galway Pride on all social media and by Ireland is we've got byireland.com so you can check us all out there and we've got a pretty lovely Facebook community as Bella had a story from earlier uh, where we can all kind of gather our own experiences and journeys of like queerness and it really is a really nice space and then for my own kind of project work uh, I run West Queer Art so westqueerart.com for all your gay sticker needs hashtag if you're going to be a rainbow capitalist at least give your money to queers yeah <laughs> very smooth very smooth <laughs> no thank you fantastic um Addy, where can people find you um my twitter is a, a catch-all for everything uh, one of my many twitters but the main one i use is adlin underscore with me um Intersex Ireland are on there too. I'm I'm a part of Intersex Ireland, and also if there if anybody's interested in learning more about the the research that I'm working on, um, it, it's not just me. I'm working with nine other really wonderful people that are working on different aspects of intersex research because there's really not very much of it at all. And that's intersex.co not dot new dot. Uh, oh my god, I should have this intersex.co.uk I think or .new.uk let me let me grab someone <laughs> we'll and, I'll, and I'll find no worries I'll go to Bella next yeah you can follow me on Twitter at Bella knit k-n-i-t for oversharing uh but I would recommend following uh shout out um we did we just recently did a series of interviews with uh queer elders called Know Your Queer History, which is uh, very nice. So check that out on our website, shoutout.ie. Fantastic. And Martin? I, I was just laughing there at uh, Addy forgetting because I've, I've spent the last five minutes trying to think of what I'm going to say. Um, so I suppose, look, just follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm most vocal and annoying. Uh, it's at Martin Beans. And just to be edgy, there's a Z in Beans. It's B-E-A-N-Z. Um, my podcast is the has beans show. Um, that's also on Twitter. So just, yeah, just follow my Twitter and you'll find all of that. I do have a linked tree thing, link three. Um, but I'm not even going to go into it. 
that's what I can't remember. That's why I was laughing at Andy. <laughs> it's, um, it's on your Twitter. It's there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It exists, I promise you. Uh, but yeah, catch me. Uh, or if you want to catch me on Facebook, it's Martin Beans Ward. Perfect. Cool. Andy, did you have any luck there? I did. Sorry about that. <laughs> Intersex new one word dot co dot UK. Fantastic. Brilliant. Um, a man, where can we find you? Uh, so I am on Twitter with my second name altogether at Desondi, uh, but I'd also uh, I'm I'm boring, so I, I hope everybody would uh, follow and 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 support the work of NASC, uh, which is a migrant and refugee rights uh, organisation here in Ireland. I'm a volunteer director of that, and also if you're interested in um, uh, uh, queer Muslim identities, follow uh, Iman LGBTQ, which is the Muslim support organization based in the UK and they're celebrating 20 years of their service in the UK. Wow okay fair play to them. Wow. And then last but by no means least Bilani. Masi.ie M-A-S-I.ie we'll find all our updates on the Masi website. We generally would be posting their press statements or reports or submissions that we make um, but also we've just started uh, posting a video of, of people in direct provision speaking out about their experiences in direct provision. We have currently a video of Bright, who's been in direct provision for six years and is not allowed to work. So um, people can find those there and share. Perfect. And and please do, because it gets those wor- wor- the word out there about different people um, living in, you know, inhumane conditions, I think it's fair to say, in a lot of direct provision centres. So um, fantastic. Listen, thanks to everybody. Thanks to the audience for coming along and thanks to all the listeners at home. This is obviously going to be a live podcast um, coming out on Thursday. And thanks to all the listeners as usual. If you have any questions for the panellists after listening to this, you can drop me a DM. It's at Glow West Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and I'll chat to you later. Bye.